Kirsten. So, Jay, the year is 1991. Okay. Rumors are abound that uh, after enjoying five years of fame and, you know, disappearing a little bit, much like Laz Patillo himself did, one Benjamin St. James has come out of the woodwork a little bit. Okay. Uh, there's rumors abound even that he might be working on some kind of new project. People mm-hmm. start talking about him being in Hollywood again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, well, that then, uh, we have to fast forward a little bit. It's time travel. So, Kirsten. Yeah. The year is 1995. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm still, okay. I'm still not alive yet. Yeah, I, I have just become alive. The year is 1995, and after, you know, those rumors happened about him being back in Hollywood and then died down. Oh, is what's he acting in? What's he in? No one's hearing anything. He doesn't show up in any movies. Then a trailer comes out for Benjamin St. James's one and only directed feature-length film. And today, Kirsten, I want to talk to you about it, because we need to talk about this. The short, bizarre directing career of Benjamin St. James and his film Murder at Retrograde Crossing. Oh no. <laughs> oh yes, Kirsten. Welcome to the Marmoset Chronicles of Personal Retrospective. My name is Jay and I am joined as always by my friend Kirsten. How are you, Kirsten? I'm pretty alright, Jay. Uh, you know, uh, getting through the day, getting through the week. Uh, at the end of this week I'm going to take like the first actual vacation I've taken in a very long time. Nice. Uh, Good for you. Yeah, we're, we're going to a uh, socially distant beach house. By, by which I mean like a beach house where... I, we're not actually going to a beach. Um, <laughs> oh, I, th- I thought you meant like every person gets their own beach house. You, no. You get no. yours, you go down to the beach, and a couple of houses away, you see your mom. No, no, I'm going with a group of friends. We're, we're, cool. We're, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, how are you doing, Jay? Good. I, I, uh, I'm good. Um, v- b- b- what have I even been doing? I don't know. It's, it's been a week. Like, I've been kind of alternately getting mad on the internet and then stopping myself from getting madder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the huge, the usual uh, yeah. endless weight of being a person who has access to Twitter.com. That's fair. I, uh, I'm i really bad at being angry on the internet. Uh, That's a good thing. You're, cause... You're, Kier, let, me, let me be on the record right here. Kirsten is a better person than uh, I am. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. I just, I just hate being angry. And so every time I feel myself getting angry, I just kind of think about it, and then I end up getting sad instead. And being sad on the internet is not nearly as satisfying as being angry on the internet. So no. I just sort of, I just sort of like don't do that. But I totally respect people who do. So you know, I, would people have gotten angry on the internet over uh, murder at retrograde crossing? That that's a good question. I would like to think not inherently, right? Like, so yeah, we, we have a main actor who is. Gone from acting to directing. And you know, that that yes. happens. Um, God, am I an idiot if I say Mel Gibson's done that? There there are, there are a few actors who have done that. I should have, I, like, looked up a list. I mean, there are plenty of actors who started off as actors and did some sort of di- directorial stuff. Or, or who do both, right? Like, you know, yeah. um, Quentin Tarantino even acts once in a while. Also, Yeah, okay, Mel yeah, Gibson did do that. Because, yeah, of course, he's done a bunch of stuff. But every time you see, I see Quentin Tarantino's face, I just kind of get inherently uncomfortable. And, yeah, and as you should. Angelina Jolie is actually directed. I forgot about her. Robert Duvall has. Kevin Costner has. Bradley Cooper. Yeah, uh, Bradley Cooper did um, the fucking Lady Gaga music movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, A Star is Born 3, Star Again. Yes, yep, yep, that one. Uh, the, the, the stars also rises. Um, <laughs> a, star, a star is born three, the, the fault in our Lady Gaga's. 
Listen, uh, to be fair, that movie's incredible. I really like that movie. I have never seen it, and I really want to. I, I, I unabashedly fucking love Lady Gaga, so I, I am down to see that. I'll be honest. I am a sucker for that type of movie, exactly. Like, the, like, underdog music story. Hell yeah. I eat that shit with a spoon. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was always going to like it. But it's a really good version of itself. I absolutely recommend it. Sure. Uh, definitely yeah, ab- deserved the critical acclaim that it got. Yeah, definitely. Um, Clint Eastwood, obviously, has done a couple big ones. There's a bunch of people. Sometimes it works out really well, and I'm sure there are other ones where it doesn't. Um, so, yeah, Benjamin St. James. I Like, this is a fascinating one, and this is one mm-hmm. I knew we had to talk about at some yes. point. Because, like... This is a guy who spent, like, most of his acting career acting under... Yeah, yeah, acting with, you know, under Laz Patillo for the Marmoset Chronicles. And so, in that time, like, God, he must have spent a lot of that time looking at the way Laz directed and thinking, wow, this is fucking incredible. Uh Just like the rest of us did. Like, you know, he was as loyal to Laz as the rest of Laz's regular crew was. Yes. And so, I'm not surprised that this happened at all, that he would finish that career and go... Like, I am inspired like a kid at what this guy I've worked with for 16 years accomplished. Uh-huh. I want, if, if I can make something half as good and powerful as he did, that's, that's enough. Like, like, you know, it's, it's kind of magical. It's like, you know, um, St. James would have been well into his forties by the time the Marmoset Chronicles ended and to then have that level of like, oh my god, I want to try this whole new end of things at that age is like, that's a really nice new chapter you've unfolded for yourself. Um, what we got was a movie about a spa- about a murder on a space station being used to grow peach trees. Uh, so, that's weird. <laughs> so, the weirdest choice that this movie made was to be about what it's about. I don't yeah. know why Benjamin St. James was like, you know what I want to make? A, like, almost trauma-style, low-budget sci-fi flick. Yeah. I, I I know one bit of why, which is that, um, apart from the Marmoset Chronicles, he's been on record saying he's a big fan of um, the original Alien, but also uh, the original Andromeda Strain. Which I think is 70s. Yeah, that's 71. So, you know, Andromeda Strain would have come out a year after The mm-hmm. Phantom and the Wren. And, like, both of those are movies that have, like, really good spaceship set design, you know? It's 2001 yeah. A Space Odyssey also. Like, th- during Benjamin St. James's career, he was watching a lot of movies be made around him, especially early on, that had really cool sci-fi sets and aesthetics and, like, visual dialects to them. And he probably had that thought of, like, Obviously, I like making these movies, but wouldn't it also be cool to be involved in this kind of movie? That's and so fair. I, I think right off the bat that, like, part of the reason this movie is what it is is so he can kind of do that. That's fair enough. Um, and I think that's a valid reason to do that. However, that's kind of ambitious for your first directorial debut. Yep. And just, like, looking at what Benjamin St. James has done... I and looking at the budget that this movie had, I think I would have gone with kind of a low key, you know, indie flick, like a kind of. Sure. And you know, you know why else that would make a lot of sense? Because those sorts of movies were the shit in the nineties. Oh the, yeah. The like kind of gritty, grungy looking like group of young adults do things movie is like yeah. the nineties bread and butter. 
Like, this is the fucking Clerks generation. Clerks Goonies, right, was around this time, am I right in thinking that? I don't remember. I can Google it. Okay, 1985 is the Goonies. But but even so, I feel like that kind of set up where some of this stuff goes. You know, like, hell, Terminator 2 is in the middle of this era. You know, it's a lot of, like, it's a lot, like you said, it's a lot of, like, grimy people doing shit on city streets more than, like, weird space shit. Like, Like, just... Yeah. What's kind of in the zeitgeist is very different around this time. And this is, like, the 90s were the time to do the, like, weird fucking indie flick. Uh, the sure. I mean, it's the, it's the 90s. Just put fucking, like, make a fucking low-key teen coming-of-age story with skateboarders, and it's probably gonna make money in the box office. Or, or fuck it, even make a version of this movie that's just set on Earth, like, in a town. Yes. Or on a peach farm. <laughs> like, you could you could do any number of more grounded versions of what this movie's shooting for. But no, we're in space. No, we're in space. We're in space. And I guess, you know, you could argue that, that the fact that they're in space is supposed to kind of heighten the dread of this murder mystery. Which, you know, I, I mentioned Alien, like, I, I fucking love... I even love the bad alien movies because I think they're all at least in some way effective at doing that, at using the, you know, bounds of space around you as a fear factor, even mm-hmm. during the parts of them that are in space, they're on planets or whatever. Um, there's always that sense of eventually I'm going to have to go out there again. And when I do, I'll be more vulnerable. That's something this movie's definitely shooting for. Again, it's um, something 2001 A Space Odyssey, I think. Uh-huh. That's not the main thing that movie's doing, but it's kind of there. Yeah, and this movie doesn't really, like... I I don't know what they're trying to say about or do with that in this movie, really. They're trying to... I think what this movie's trying to do Mm. is it's trying to take the locked room murder mystery to the next level. Sure, yeah, yeah. However, that as an idea is maybe not enough to build an entire movie around. Yeah, and like th- there were there were people back when it came out who I who you know were like oh well it's 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 in space there's gonna be a, like spot time of the alien thing who thought oh it's in space there has to be some kind of very like sci-fi twist where there's like a savage alien out there somewhere who's who's ready to come and fuck with them and that never really happens that that doesn't really mm-hmm. happen the the real monster was man yeah oh yeah the real monster is man and like there's a shapeshifter thing of some kind but that's never really like explored or given anything fun to do and it's never like it feels like he liked the aesthetic of these other movies he saw and liked the sort of more deliberate intimacy of what Las Patillo did where you know you have these movies that are so often conversation based that are so often the action of language as much as the action of physical action uh-huh whereas he was being directed in that when he worked in those movies but he wasn't directing that doesn't necessarily mean he like has that same dialect and i wonder if he was trying to make something that could do both the same way laz could do both and um i guess before we get any further jay do you like this movie i think it's all right i don't know I, you know what it is? I, I, I like doing what we're doing right now with it. I like talking about it as a piece of the Marmoset Chronicles related media. Uh, would I ever just pop it in for fun? Not really. And it's not even, like, it's not even a fun, so bad it's good movie, I don't think. I, I don't think it's so bad it's good. I think it's just a little bit muddled and confused. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's definitely not so bad it's good. Like, there's competent actors in this, you know, like... Uh, fucking 
Talking about Terminator, Linda Hamilton shows up in, in a small role in it as like the person on Earth who the space station's in central contact with until that's cut I, off. I mean, shit, fucking, isn't, uh, Steve Buscemi is the third role, is the third lead, yes. right? He's yeah, got- uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kensington. Obviously, yeah, yeah, Kensington. Which is like, and he does a good job with what he's given. Like, um, St. James co-wrote this. He didn't just write it, but like, whoever was responsible with the writing, he does a good job with that. Buscemi is a fantastic actor. But yeah, so like, you know, it, it's not that level of bad. It's not fucking Birdemic. It's not... The room. It's not just this absolute laughably trash thing. It's not a Neil Breen movie. Or, um, and it's not, it's not you know, trashy or awkward, so it isn't, you know, showgirls or... <laughs> nice. Uh, I don't think I've ever been more baffled as the first time I watched Showgirls, anyway. Mm. Uh... Or it's it's not trying to make a big deal about nothing in the same way as I don't know the rent movie. We're just kind of bashing on movies we don't like. Well, now. Uh, or uh, it's not like or it's not so like batshit out there because there's some there's some sci-fi movies that are considered not very good but are so batshit out there that people are like alrighty then. Or, or or that or that by that same token are maybe thought of as not that good because of that batshit out there-ness, maybe even more than they deserve a little bit sometimes. Yes. Uh, I, I think, um, I don't know if this is a, a, a good example. That I kind of think Event Horizon is that. I'd say that's valid. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of people don't really like Event Horizon because it's sort of shock value-y and a lot of, you know, body horror for the sake of body horror. I know it wasn't very popular at the time. I know people like it now. Hmm. I, I've I've never seen it. I, I know almost nothing about that movie actually. Um, it's worth a watch if you're okay with some like body horror and other kind of stuff. I I'd look into it before you watch it because there are, is some stuff there that might be genuinely upsetting to people. So that's my uh, disclaimer sure. out there. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, or or like um. Is it- I don't know if this one has the retroactive fan base in the way you're kind of talking about, but, like, Jupiter Ascending or even a <laughs> Valyrian The Thousand Planets or whatever that movie oh, was. Oh, God. Like, once in a while you'll get a kind of out-of-nowhere sci-fi movie like that that's like, is it great? Probably not, but it's got really weird ideas that are maybe being called bad because they're weird rather than bad because they're inherently bad. I mean- uh, Jupiter Ascending... I think is baffling and very hard to follow and paced like shit. But, like, the ideas in it are kind of cooler than it ever gets credit for. <laughs> and, you know, there's you get movies like that once in a while that don't really... I don't know if they just don't have the right kind of eyes on them in the right places or what it is. But, um, at any rate, we're talking we're talking a lot about things this movie is not, but I think that's important to do. Like, I, I think we're, we're laying down a good groundwork of... What kind of movie we're not talking about Yeah, here? and like, you know, Jupiter Ascending is just batshit enough that people are like- There's enough weird random things in Jupiter Ascending that people don't really know what to do about it. Sure. I still don't know if I like that movie or not. Um, <laughs> I I think, I, much like what I mentioned about the uh, later Alien movies, I think I like it and I think it is not very good. And I never saw Get Valerian. Get you an opinion that can do both. I, I never saw Valerian. I-, I I, I I know that they um who's that fucking actress in it? Oh, I know who you're talking about. Kara Kara Delavine is that her name? Yeah, Kara Delavine and Dana DeHaan. My 
unpopular opinion, at least at that time. I don't know if people, more people are on this now, but I was like, stop trying to make Cara Delevingne happen. She's not a very good actress. That's fair. Uh, I, I know her face, and I can't think of what else I've seen her in. I don't think... They... She, she... Oh, she's the villain in Suicide Squad! Okay. Okay, but back to... Back yeah, to this movie. I, yeah, anyway. Anyway, so yeah, we're... we're we're establishing a lot, and I, th- I think that's important, is, you know, this is not any of those things we've talked about. This is not, um, who's that one asshole? Tommy Wiseau. No, too obvious. Good, though. Very good. Um, Uwe Boll. Yeah, Uwe Boll. Thank you. This is not Uwe Boll, where it's like someone, and the reason I bring him up is he is someone who is making crap and is only getting more assured that it is gold as he makes more crap. Yes. Like, it's not that. St. James definitely had some fun, some smoke under his ass, but he was also fairly humble yeah. um, about this movie when it came out. Like, he was like, yeah, I just kind of hope I can do justice to what uh, came before me, which makes it that much more of a tragedy than what we have is just not very compelling. <laughs> yes, and it, and it has been a little while since I've seen this movie. I have seen this movie, I think it's been about three or four years. So mm-hmm. here's a list of things I remember about this movie that I thought were cool. Okay, go for it. Uh, some of the shot composition was interesting. Yeah. Uh, some of the... I think they were going for this kind of, like, eco-critical kind of environmental lens with the peach trees, which mm-hmm. is a neat idea, uh, kind of taking over silent running kind of things. But, uh, which I remember appreciating that, not really thinking it worked. Uh, Buscemi's acting is great. Uh, a couple of the other actors deliver okay performances. And that one monologue at the end is actually pretty well written. Yeah, the, 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 the one that Karen Black uh, delivers at the end of the movie. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah, so, so you, you, you hit on one thing that I want to I hone in on, which is the, uh, the eco-critical bit. Yeah, peach trees. We all know them. We all like them. They're... The thing that makes a lovely fruit that you can have when you want one. Put it in some tea. I don't know, man. <laughs> that, that like, they're specifically very blatant about there's peach trees growing up here in the space station. I, I, what is the space station called? I, I, I is it just the, um, I, I guess it's just called retrograde crossing. But uh, I, I, I think they just call it the retrograde through the movie. You know, they're like, oh, up here on the retrograde, we, we're growing these peaches. Down there on the earth, they don't grow anymore. And there's just like a lot of other little things like that that's like, do you get it? Do you get it? Something happened down on earth. Do you get it? Green stuff doesn't really grow down there. Do you get it? Here's a shot where you see a little bit of the earth down through a big window below them. And it's a lot, the, the like, continent is a lot browner than it used to be. Do you get it? Do you get it? And then, yeah. like, and then, and then, which is fine, but, like, they never do anything with that. So, the problem with this movie, tell me how that message of, hey, look at this idea of, you know, I think what he's going for is, at first you think, oh, the earth died, so we're growing plants up here. But I think what they sort of try and prod at, and this, I think, is marginally successful, is this idea of, like, oh... The earth started to, like, like, you know, stuff started to go bad. And maybe we went up here and started growing plants in space when there were still other options. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, we didn't have to do this. But we reached for this and kind of abandoned the earth. Okay. Um, or not abandoned, but abandoned, you know, 
its ecosystems. And, like, I don't hate that idea, but explain to me in an essay of 2,000 words or less how that connects to a murder mystery that may or may not involve a shapeshifter because this movie doesn't really like those concepts never really join hands I don't think I don't think so either I could really really stretch and kind of make that work in a very roundabout English major way but I don't think that's what Benjamin St. James was going for no um and just sort of everything about this movie this is a movie out of its time sure who the fuck was making movies like this in the 90s? No one. Just hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull something up really fast. Go for it, yeah, yeah. I, I was legitimately trying to think if anyone did make movies similar to this. <laughs> so I looked up highest grossing movies of the 1990s. Okay. So these are the, the most popular movies. They're by box office. Cool. Fan- the Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. There's our ob- obligatory Star Wars reference for the re- episode. <laughs> Titanic. The Sixth Sense, Forrest Gump, Home Alone, Independence Day, Men in Black, uh, Jurassic Park, Ghost, Armageddon. Mm-hmm. I guess Armageddon would be the, the closest there, are, if I'm remembering. I would almost say Jurassic Park in a way. Just because that, that, that movie's very about like poking nature until it snaps back at you, kind of. And I, 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 th- like, I think that's maybe an idea... St. James was trying to put in this. I guess so. But the thing is, like, none of these movies are... None of those movies I I just listed off are this kind of, like, one-off, high-concept sci-fi. I guess Mm. uh, Star Wars and Independence Day is sci-fi. Well, and Men in Black. Men in Black also is. Yes, but... All of those are a very different kind of sci-fi than, like, it's the future, and we're on a space station, and the Earth is dying. Which is a very, that's a very, like, 60s and 70s breed of sci-fi. Sure. That's like, that's like the ray gun gothic stuff. Yeah. This, this I would say is, is more like, like, there was kind of a boom of, uh, space movies in the, like, early 2010s. Where you had Interstellar, you had, um... Oh, God. Arrival, I think, was around then. Uh, Gravity. You know, like, uh, The Martian. There was this chain of space dramas. And uh, Ad Astra came out, I think, last year and kind of brought that back a little bit. But, like, there was this few years where it felt like every six months there was another big, like, movie that was set in space and about space, but also very much just about, like, the human condition in some way. Which which is a concept I find fascinating. I, I love that. But I could almost see if this was made... In, like, 2011, it would have been... It would have fit more, almost. Like, it would have wound up fitting right in line with those movies. And, uh, it also would have looked a lot better, which is also a big problem in this movie. Yeah, there are 70s and 80s sci-fi movies that kind of look better than this. I mean, there's that one... There's the one part... The the one time they're in the engine room, where they're obviously in like he's inside the quote-unquote engine and it is obviously a top-loaded washing machine (laughs) yeah it's so fucking like it's obviously a top-loaded washing machine and like the reason that's our reason that's funny is you see i love um behind the scenes on practical effects stuff and on like set design stuff like yeah i fucking go nuts for it like Mm -hmm. if it's old old star wars set design or you know like uh 
all the Hgar Giger shit in Alien or or anything. Like I love seeing the actual parts that go into a finished thing so well that you can't see their actual parts. Yeah. That process did not really happen that well in this movie if you can tell that's a goddamn top-loading washing machine. And sometimes you're watching a movie and you're like, okay, I can see where they... I can see this place right here where they deliberately are cutting corners because of budget. Sure. And that's okay if, like, you only notice that once. Yeah. And maybe it's like, uh... We don't really see the car explode. We just kind of hear it explode or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But even then it's like, oh, well there's it's still like a compelling shot. You you don't necessarily need to see the car explode. But but when the whole movie is you going like, "Oh god, you can see where they delegated the budget." Yeah, or like you can see someone's mic line dropping out of the back of their costume or something. Uh, that one. But, like you ever, you ever watch? So I, I was um, the original Evil Dead. I, I I love Evil Dead one and two. I think they're they're a really fun like exercise in a like filmmaker getting better at what they're doing over the course of a couple movies. Evil Dead, the original one, has all these things where like there's a point where you can see a guy hiding in the back of the set waiting to come on screen. Huh. There's you know. Parts that aren't cut right, there's parts where costumes malfunction, there's parts where boom mics are in shots. Um, And, like, to me, all of that stuff adds to the camp of it in a really effective way. Like, now, ironically, it's very difficult to get that version of the movie, because, like, he's gone back and edited a bunch of stuff, apparently. But I think that stuff's fun. Like, it's a lot of that kind of thing... It's not a ton, but it's some of that kind of thing happening where something's just on the seams of the frame that you can tell shouldn't be there, or, like, a costume looks different in one scene than the next. But, like, there's no, this is funny to it. It's just, the whole movie is so serious that it's the same as if you're, like, talking to a guy who's got no pants on and doesn't realize he doesn't have pants on. And I think it would have almost been better if he was just like, fuck it, I'm making camp. Like, yeah, exactly. That, let, yeah, that's that, yeah. Let's make let's make a campy let's make some campy space nonsense because like people always like campy space nonsense. Precisely. Just like do that. I mean, yeah. the title from the title that sounds like it's what it's gonna be. Like the title yeah. sounds like a trauma movie. It it sounds like a parody. It's it sounds like an exploitation flick. Like sure. And if you're gonna do that, just go all in. I always like it if you're gonna do a bit like that. Like, commit to it. Do the whole thing. You know, if you're gonna do, like, whatever... If you're gonna do something weird, or you're gonna do something, like, off the radar, you need to commit to it. <laughs> because half, yeah. half-assing it is gonna make it worse. <sighs> Which, Pretty much. That's kind of my, my philosophy now, especially in, like, you know, the, the age of movies that we're living in, when everything is sometimes high budget to the point of bad, and mm-hmm. everything is... And everything's, there's so much many things that are obviously, like, written by committee and this, that, and the other thing. Like, I want masterpieces or garbage fires. I shun mediocrity. I would rather, I would rather have a terrible, terrible movie than a movie that's just kind of meh. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. Or just something that's utterly baffling. Like, hold on, now it's my turn. I need to look up the name of this fucking bananas movie that came out a year or two ago. Is is it Serenity? 
Is, is Matthew McConaughey in it? Yeah! Fuck, fuck you! How did you know this is what I was thinking because of? God that, damn it. Because I saw that movie in theaters and it was incredible in all the wrong ways. Did oh, you God. Really, well, but I, I think, like, so you, since you've seen it, you tell me if I'm wrong. I think that's kind of, that's kind of what you're getting at a little bit. Is like, that is a movie that is fascinatingly trash but like whether you like it or not by god that is a concept done through to its conclusion that is a fully realized thing it is not generic it is not leaning on tropes really it is a wild idea that i'm not really sure works i actually need to rewatch it uh, um I'm, i like the idea of it working i don't know no, if it works it doesn't but it that movie is not good however <laughs> that movie is Fascinating. Right, exactly. Because th- there's a twist in that movie. and Don't say where it is. If you haven't seen this movie, guys, like, honestly, it- it's not that long. Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway are in it. They have negative chem- chemistry. I can't believe both of these people have Oscars in that movie. But there's a twist in that movie. And as soon as I realized that the twist was coming, my mouth was hanging open for the rest of the movie and not for good reasons. Yeah, and, and, and like, whether you like it or not, that is a idea they followed through on to its fucking conclusion. And, like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think to kind of bounce off your your statement there about shunning mediocrity, because I'm with you on that. I think my specific version of it is I would always rather see a movie whole-ass a wild idea whether it goes for better or for horribly worse. It's why, like, I, you know, it's, it's why I have a weird affection for, like, The Room and Neil Breen's movies. Because, like, they're all bad, but that was, you know, th- those are people who had specific ideas and just said, I don't care how weird this is or what works or what doesn't. This is in my head. I'm going to put it out no matter what. And a movie that truly has that in its veins, you can feel it. In how the movie is composed, mm-hmm. whether it works or doesn't, ultimately. And I think there's value in that. I think there's value in that if it's a movie or a book or a video game, whatever it is. But, like, this doesn't really have that. Like, you know, go- going back to Murder at Retrograde Crossing, which is a great title. I, I-, I like that title. Wasted um, on this movie. I know, I know. It truly is. I think he had ambition to direct, obviously. Uh-huh. Like, there's cinematography things, there's ways uh, shots are composed, there's ways some dialogue is attempted at that very much feels like... He's not trying to be Laz Batillo all the time, but he's definitely trying to be Laz Batillo a Sometimes, little bit. Sometimes, yeah. Um, but, like, the idea at its whole just kind of feels like something he came up with because he wanted an excuse to direct a movie. This, yes. this doesn't feel like yes. a story that he felt passionate about. This doesn't feel like yes. something where he went, I think this is going to work. It was not going to work for everyone, but I am going to follow my heart and make it no matter what. This kind of just feels like he watched his friend direct him in these movies. He watched colleagues mm-hmm. be directed in sci-fi movies he liked and just wanted to marry the two. Yes. But didn't actually have a good idea. <laughs> And it, 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 yes, you're absolutely right. It also reminded, reminds me kind of, of like creative writing exercises I've seen people do where they have a really cool idea for like an aesthetic and a setting and they have no plot. Mm, yeah. Or, or, you know, I've read some comics and, uh, th- th- there's this, um, God, there's a lot of Googling in this episode. I just want to, I want to make sure I remember who this is by. Uh, there is, uh, this comic book called Limbo by 
Dan Waters. Okay. And that book looks incredible. The art is so good. Some of the some of the concepts that this guy has are so cool. Uh, and the plot and the story are so bad they ruin both. God fuck. It's so and it's so unfortunate because the comic looks incredible. And sure. they, they there are these really awesome uh concepts that he kind of plays with and he does less than nothing with them he in fact does where he goes with the story ruins those concepts but and and, you know benjamin st james is not that bad benjamin st james does not no you know he just doesn't really do anything with it it is very much just an excuse to make a movie well yeah and and he's also not doing that level of world like he's not building that big a lego set to then knock down you know yeah he just it feels like someone's like like you know it feels like a very high budget student film where someone just sure. kind of he's doing it for a grade he's doing it to do it which is sad yeah. because yeah like i like i shun mediocrity succeed or crash and burn exactly yeah like you know you, you look at um i don't know you, you you one of my favorite things to do is just google all the roles nicholas cage has had <laughs> and N- nicholas cage has taken quite a few roles in just like shitty nothing projects and the mm-hmm. reason to be clear he has not done it because of giving up and going into mediocrity. He's done it because he bought an island and, like, a bunch of artifacts or some shit and had a bunch of debt to pay off. But, like, you look at some of the stuff he's in, and I I think his worst performances, looking them up, are a great way to find just, like, some of the most generic films to ever be made. Yes. Um, And then, you know, he's, he's a great actor, and he's also in a lot of great stuff. But, like, you do see these things that, like, okay... Allegedly, some studio signed off on this. Some director was paid to direct this. Someone was paid to write this. Where is I? I I don't know. I say this as a creative person. I you know you are too, mm-hmm. and I'm sure many of our listeners are. I don't understand how you make a whole ass movie <laughs> if you don't have some amount of passion for it. I, I guess it's yeah. just if the money's that good. Deep cynicism. Deep cynicism, perhaps? I I don't even know if I believe... I guess that can get you there. And, yeah, I just, like... I'd rather have ten... I'd rather have another Cats, (laughs) which at least... At least is weird enough that people paid attention to it. No, Cats is a great example. Keep going with this. Uh, I like this. I'd rather have... So, do you remember uh, in, like, 2017, maybe, 2018? You know, remember that they did a a remake of the Magnificent Seven movie? The cowboy version? Yeah, yeah, I... Did I see that? I don't think I saw that. Because cause everybody was like, yeah, it's fine, and just kind of moved on with their lives. Mm-hmm. And it didn't... Yeah. A- and I'd rather have, like, you know, movies that make you go, what the ever-loving fuck is this, than a movie that you walk out of the theater forgetting about. Like Again, Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> well, a couple... And a couple years ago, there was this... Did you, Have you ever seen the movie Atomic Blonde? No, I know what it is, though. I know what you're talking Sh- about. Charlize Theron is in it. Yeah. Uh... uh I was so excited about when I saw the the, the trailers for this movie because I thought it was going to be this kind of like early James Bond esque thing. Oh, I remember seeing trailers for this, and oh. I also thought that. And yeah. it was gonna, I thought it was going to be this like really kind of fun, like not silly but fairly lighthearted spy action flick with James McAvoy as the Bond girl. And I was like, yeah. that's awesome. And then I went into the theater and it was just kind of this played very straight sort of grim, dark cold war spy story. And yeah. there is, there's an incredible, uh, long shot fight scene in that movie. There's a lot of things to like about that movie. It just wasn't what I wanted, but I left the theater like, 
I wish that they had done something more insane with it. Hmm. Uh, and I wish that yeah. Benjamin St. James had done something more insane with this movie. I, I feel like, and this is a whole other topic that we kind of touched on last time in a different way, but like, I feel like a lot of adaptation movies also get screwed in that way, where like, mm-hmm. <laughs> the the recent Artemis Fowl movie is a great example, where you take God, a book God, that came series, out. It's on Disney+, Plus. yeah, I've been meaning to get shit-wasted and force myself to watch it, because that's the only way I can numb myself enough to get through that thing. Oh no. Um, but like, that, or the Percy Jackson movies, or um, The Magician's Apprentice, if you remember that one. God, like, I do any remember of these, that one. Any of these movies that, you know, and then I, I recognize this is a different topic than what Benjamin St. James is doing, but any of those movies where they take a book or a book series that has a lot of that heart and has that specific aesthetic and purpose to it and just, like, puts a fucking needle in it and, dr- and drains all that out and then takes the husk of what's left and goes, hey, kids, come play with this corpse. Like, that's, <laughs> that's all you get in cases like that. And sometimes you see original movies that feel that way. Yeah. And there are parts of this movie, there are parts of Murder at Retrograde Crossing that I think feel that way. And, you know, you can kind of tell it was written by two people because I think yeah. Benjamin St. James needed help to finish the script. Because I think yes. he just wanted to direct a movie. And uh, he could have directed a worse movie, but it also could have been better. Oh, yeah. here's a fun thing we can talk about. Yes. So, have you heard that there there is a theory that Laz Patillo was at the premiere, like the premiere screening of this movie, mm-hmm. but he was disguised as a woman. <laughs> So no one knew it was him. He was in very convincing drag, and that's why no one knew that Laz Patillo actually went and saw his friend Benjamin St. James's movie. I, I have. I, I don't know like whether or not it was in drags. I, I don't know, but I really like the idea that he was there to see his friend's movie. I, 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 I love that, and I hope that's true. Uh, I would not put it past Laz Patillo to, to dress up as a woman. The idea of him doing that is interesting to me on a, like, the way, uh, on a level of the way that man gets inside his own head, and you know, obviously that's not what he'd be doing there, but like that's a whole other conversation, I guess. But yeah, I, I love that idea. I hope he fucking saw it. I hope he went and saw this movie. <laughs> I hope he was nice to St. James about it. I yeah, like that, you know? But I also like to think that Laz Patillo is like a nice person. I really hope that like, I never find out for sure that Laz Patillo is an asshole. I'd be very upset. Mm-hmm. I hope deep down that he told Benjamin he liked the movie even if he didn't. Yes. I, I hope that he told Benjamin St. James that he was that movie's biggest fan. Maybe he was. You've got to be supportive after all that, for Christ's sake. Ma- like, I, I assume, you know, this is the weird thing about Laz, is we have these people who Laz has worked with who say that they were such good friends with him, but Laz himself has not been around to talk about those friendships mm-hmm. since the last one of these movies. But, like, I would hope that that friendship between him and Benjamin St. James was mutual and strong enough that he would have gone and seen it and supported him and been like, hell yeah, this is great. Yes. And, you know, I like to think that Laz Patillo actually did like the movie. Because yeah, his I, yeah. friend made it. And God yeah, damn I, yeah it. I'm sorry. That, that's I, I should have been clear, because that's what I meant. Is like, yeah. yeah, not just that he said he did, that he really and truly did. And Because and, and, God damn it. The, may, he might have just made it to make a movie, but he did try. Yeah. Effort does count for something. This wasn't... Damn uh, right. I feel like maybe we, we kind of just gave the impression that we think that this movie's kind of like some sort of corporate sellout. I don't think that. I, I, I think that this movie uh, was came from a very genuine place. 
place. I just don't think that Benjamin St. James is a creative person in the, you know, areas of writing and directing. I think he's an actor, exactly. and he was a very, very good, incredible actor in the Marmoset Chronicles, and uh, maybe should have stuck to acting. Exactly, yeah, no, I, I, I could not agree with you more. I, I, I do wonder a lot... Like, and I, I don't want to, like, infantilize him by asking this, but, like, was it a sort of thing of wanting Laz to respect him, do you think? Like, was it a thing of, I, I want to earn this, get my friend's respect in a different way because I feel like he's always been in some way better than me and I want to sort of live up to that? You know, I would say yes if he hadn't made a sci-fi movie. Hmm. But... He did make a sci-fi movie, which makes me feel like this was more his thing. That's interesting. I, I, I had always felt like the sci-fi thing was his way of intentionally trying to make sure it wasn't too much mm -hmm. just the kind of thing Laz would make. But you might be right about that. Well, but, you know, he's on record saying how much he likes sci-fi stuff and, you know, sure. has shown up at enough sci-fi conventions and um, has done some, like, audiobook stuff for sci-fi novels. And which does make me think that maybe this was just something he wanted to do. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, I also think that he, he didn't do it because so much to, like, earn Laz's respect. I think he might have tried to do it to sort of put the Marmoset Chronicles behind him a little bit because he was so hardcore typecast yeah. after that. Sure, right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there was, um, do you remember the rumors that uh, they were going to make a fourth Indiana, this before the fourth Indiana Jones movie eventually happened, there were rumors uh, in the early mid-90s that they were going to do a new Indiana Jones movie where he was Indiana's long-lost brother or something. Can you imagine a movie, uh, like, just any sort of footage in which Benjamin St. James and Harrison Ford interact? Yes, and I want it! It sounds fucking great, frankly. Give me a, give me another Blade Runner where they're just both there. We should mention uh, that the co-writer of Murder at Retrograde Crossing was Barry Levinson, who went on to, who had directed Rain Man, and uh, who had screenwritten a bunch of things, is a voice in the B-movie, produced the movie Toys with, uh, with Robin Williams, and, and a bunch of other things. Like, guy, guy's got a hell of a career, and he was the co-writer on this movie somehow. That's really weird. Yeah, it, it it makes me wonder how much he actually did. I, I, I am not super familiar with his work, to be honest with you, Barry Levinson's. I, I just had to look him up on IMDb, and like I can't say that I've actually seen anything he's made, I don't think. Yeah, me neither. But I, I don't know. So I, I, oh no, okay. He um he directed Good Morning Vietnam, which I have seen. I, I love that movie. So he's got that going for him. But just you know, very strange guy to find out was involved in this. Yes, I guess. No, I absolutely agree, and I think there's a lot to. I wish that there was more about this act, this movie's actual plot to talk about. But there yeah, really no, isn't. I, I do too. And I think there's enough stuff. Kind of, I'm not sorry this exists. I, yeah. I'm not, I don't think Benjamin St. James is sorry this exists. Uh, I think Benjamin St. James wishes that he... I don't think, you know, he regrets the Marmoset Chronicles. I do think he regrets that that is the only thing that defines his career. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't... Speaking of Harrison Ford, I don't think he hates the Georgie character like Harrison Ford hates Han Solo. Because God, does that, did that man not want to play that part? Yeah, but even Harrison Ford has, like, other defining roles. He's also Blade Runner. He's also mm -hmm. Indiana Jones. Indiana. You know, like, you, I think you, you could you, order... You could, you could order? 
Let me try that sentence again. I think you could argue that Indiana Jones is his more iconic role. Yeah, I I, I definitely would. I, I watched that a lot more than Star Wars as a kid, so I'm certainly biased, but I, I would absolutely argue that. He's also in a shocking amount of legal thrillers. Yep. Uh, guess whose dad loves legal thrillers? <laughs> is it yours? I have sat with him. Yeah, I have sat. Uh, I think I said earlier in this podcast at one point that my my dad's favorite favorite author is John Grisham, yes. and so he will watch anything based on a John Grisham novel. And and there's a couple of, there's a couple of legal thriller movies based on those, but just like. My dad loves legal thrillers, and so he and I have watched a lot of, like, Harrison Ford in a suit running through the rain or, like, yelling at someone in a courthouse. Hell yeah. Maybe, and maybe that's what Benjamin St. James should have done instead of making this movie. Maybe, yeah. And I hope that Laz Patillo was there, and if he was disguised as a woman, I think that would make it even better. I, I think so, too. Um, yeah, I mean, we can talk about the plot. Like, you know, we hit on the environmental aspect of it. The mm-hmm. whole idea of the movie is, like, who's done this murder? Uh, it turns out that there's a shapeshifter and that that was the person who did the murder. You know, like, the whole point of the movie is, like, the idea of there being something under your nose that you overlook which I guess is how the whole peach trees in space versus Earth dying below it uh, ties together. But mm-hmm. it's like, it just it just doesn't talk about it in an interesting way. Like, that monologue at the end is, is fine. I think I don't like it as much as you do even. But like, I don't know. It's just sort of going, man, this movie is about, isn't it fucked up how you can like ignore stuff and not notice stuff? Yeah. Whoa. It's not that deep. And I'm not asking for it to be endlessly, you know, I'm not asking for it to be like a giant philosophical exploration of anything. It's not that I want it to be deeper. I just kind of want it to be smarter, you know? Yeah. That would be enough. Like, I don't think, I don't think Inception is a super deep movie, but I think it's a very smart movie. I'd agree. And I really like Inception because it's a very smart movie. Inception is one of my top five favorite movies, so yes. Hell yeah, it, it's great. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a very good film. But, like, I, you know, I, that, that movie doesn't, like, make you go out of it, like, th- tossing and turning, going, like, oh my god, what if my life is a dream? Or at least it didn't for me. But it is, like, just a, it, it's a very smartly constructed world and set of rules. Yes. With a level of detail and care that just ain't here. <laughs> and I wish it was smarter, or I wish it was more self-consciously dumb. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, and basically, like, that's the that's the decision, I think, that Benjamin St. James and most filmmakers need to make more often. Like, make a smart movie, or make a movie so dumb it's smart. I, I, I like that. I kind of like that as, like, our thesis for the episode. There we go. Yeah, if you are going to fail, fail spectacularly. God damn right. Fail so incredibly hard... That people have no uh, no choice but to be like, we gotta admire the effort. Yeah, ex- yeah. Be interstellar, and if you can't be interstellar, be, you know, be Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, Kirsten, if anyone wants to talk to you about Interstellar or Jupiter Ascending, where can they find you on the internet to uh, do that? You can find me on Twitter at Kirsten M. Writes. You can also find me on Instagram at Kirsten Meehan Writes. The Twitter is updated sporadically and mostly in, uh, is about me yelling about writing or cats or cats and writing or 
dead. Or cats the movie and writing. Exactly. Um, or uh, the Instagram is some uh, a lot of poetry and books and kind of me thinking things through a little bit more as opposed to Twitter where you just kind of throw shit at the walls. Uh, Jay, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me throwing the shit at the walls, the shit at the walls. <laughs> throwing all of Earth's shit at the wall of my own brain. At <laughs> Twitter, at Extreme Salsaing. Uh, I'm also on Letterboxd at Extreme Salsaing if you care about general movie stuff I've been watching and occasionally I'll write a review on there. Um, I'm also on YouTube at Hi, I'm Jay. I was also just uh, this week as of when this, this I think this comes out the day after this will go up. Uh, I will have just guested on Nervous Rex with uh, Chris and Joe where they are talking about uh, the first one of the Evangelion rebuild movies and I got to uh, join them for some interesting discussion of remakes and recursions and what those movies do. Right. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. I, I love Joe and I love Chris and I love the show they make. We should mention that show and a bunch of others are on the Orange Groves Podcast Network, which we are just ever so thrilled to be on, as always. Uh, please go to theorangegroves.com to look at a list of all your new favorite podcasts. Uh, join the Discord. It's always a great time in there. And yeah, I think that just about does it for us. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so you know, as always, be safe, keep yourself safe, uh, take care of your community and communities that need help. We're, uh... Fucking, I mean, honestly, I, I think I think you had the you had it there with um, you know, whole ass whatever you're gonna ask. <laughs> yes. Fail spectacularly. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>